1: And welcome to Panic with Friends. This is your host Howard Linson, as always.
0: Ha! I don't know. I think I like the old way. What? John was giving, throwing you under the bus. He says it's just doesn't feel right with you introducing me. Oh well, foreigner.
1: You John. know, everybody's got an opinion. We can't yes. listen to everybody,
0: especially South Africans. Yeah, I know. All right, Panic with Friends. This is a rare two-parter. I know. Yeah. Give this guy the mic and you may never get it back. That was what the story was on Wikipedia about him. I had a sense uh, that it was a serious bromance
1: between you and Jason going on there.
0: I want to meet his wife. So uh, (laughs) we have Jason Hirschhorn back because I meant to talk to him about the future and we got into talking about the past. But I think the past now sets a tone really well for just spending a little bit of time talking about the future of media we're going to get into the most current of current events, NFTs. Um, you're just going to read so much about them over the next 10 years. Newsletters, you know, creator economy, the fall of cable, or is it really the fall of cable? And uh, social media streaming. We're going no memory lane today. We're just going to go right to the fucking moment in the future. These are all the subjects I, I care deeply about. So Jason talks about that on his uh, newsletter, Redef, which he's uh, booting back up here. Post COVID, so it's a very on-topic dance media compilation. So we'll talk about that. Let's get Jason on the on the horn. No, no pun intended. It. You got it,
1: Howard. I, I've literally been talking for the last three days. I had no idea that you had hung up.
0: No, no, don't worry. We taped it. It's in the cloud somewhere.
1: <laughs> All right, great. Sometimes I get you know I get a little uh, loose. It goes on for a while.
0: So. We did such a, I mean, I was was a little selfish. We went uh, down memory lane, but really I like talking about the future, not so far ahead. And and someone who lives so close to media, there's so many topics that I uh, talked about in the intro here. Um, Let's start with like the freshest, hottest thing, NFTs. What do you know? Do you care? How interesting is this?
1: Fire away. You know, I have to say, when I, when I see all the techies tweeting about something, whether it be Calacanis or Tramoff or, or any of these guys that are probably way smarter than I am, I, uh, I get a little discouraged or I get a little insecure because I don't necessarily understand it all. And I am encouraged around NFTs, around the creator economy, more than anything else. Um, if they take the music business, for example you know, you've had a situation where someone's own IP gets sold away or gets licensed. And for the most part of the last hundred years, artists have gotten a very small share of what they've created through the record label ecosystem. And as labels fell and Napster came around and they were bottomed out, piracy was there. And then all of a sudden they built back up into these streaming powerhouses. And I forget what the number is, but my friend Irving Gazoff said to me this morning that he thinks that the biggest labels put together are worth you know, tens of billions, if not $100 billion total, and the artists are still getting screwed. So the idea that an artist can use NFTs to own more of their ecosystem, to own more of the secondary market, um, to ultimately put more in their pocket is pretty amazing to me. The things I don't understand around NFTs, and if you want to read more about that, read about the recent announcement by the band Kings of Leon who are selling NFT packages to real world type things mm-hmm. um, where, I, where I think you could, um, you know, sort of meet the band and, and you know, get a limousine to the, the event and hang out backstage. And that will happen until, you know, uh, time immemorial, meaning you buy this NFT and you own it forever. The things I don't necessarily understand are like the digital art stuff. Um, you know, someone gave me an example of like, you know, if Jordan was playing today and he did a monster duck, could you buy the NFT to that monster dunk? but if you've got 100,000 people watching it and they all take digital copies of it, what is the NFT worth? Is it the new new baseball card, so to speak? Um, So there's a sense of like this gold rush right now and this sort of trying to change stuff up and see if we can turn the tables so that creators get more of the money. But I also think there's probably going to be a lot of things that fail or are, I don't know if it's fraud-like, but I think these early days are sort of what Mark Cuban said to me was like, it's the gold rush. It'll obviously settle down at some point, but you know, loving the idea that you could buy an album for nine 99 and then put it back on the market. Like we used to with CDs. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about people taking back or, you know, people who create taking back what was theirs. Um, I would, I would love the primer from you to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, but I've spent a week writing about it. I think the primer's still being written. You have the VC angle, um, which you know Mark Mark Cuban, Mark Andreessen, Chris Dixon, uh, Albert at Union Square, who have been in the crypto space so long, so they're just like "Let It Rain" creator and chaos. And then there's going to be the retail side, which you know it's paying billions of dollars for tweets, and I just like, oh my god this is not going to end well for most most of these things will be worthless in a world like you said yeah. where you can take a picture of, of of a dunk but what the the MBAs is worth the most and you know who's going to be the tops of digital you know who's going to be the brands that you trust and hold value. So I'm 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 intrigued because I'm always on the side of the creator. I have a blog, you have ReDef, there's uh, we'll get into all the other stuff with Clubhouse and with um, <clears throat> Substack and with OnlyFans and all the other ways the creator and Shopify, all the other ways for creators to monetize. Um listen, the world's evolving. Um the power was obviously too much in the hands of the gatekeepers and like we saw with venture capitalists we went from venture power to founder power and we'll settle somewhere back in the middle and then we've gone from gatekeeper power to maybe too much artist power in this next wave and we'll settle somewhere in the middle of a trusted thing but um, like I like to say this bubble is necessary to get us from a Centralized world to the possibility of a decentralized world where the future isn't just Facebook and Google Uh, because you can't disrupt them unless you have a bubble where money is spent uh, in a, in lunacy fashion uh, and we don't know what it is until it's already passed. So this bubble I would think will be looked back with uh, joy because we could break the bonds of a centralized world. So that's where NFTs are just part of that.
1: Yeah. And I, I will say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, the things I would be concerned about are more of like, you know, I want these artists to make money. I want them to get control of, a, of an economy that happened after they sold the first item. But I also don't want to see where it's only the fan that can spend $150,000 to get something to access, a, a you know, from an artist.
0: Correct. And they're not going to know how to separate the uh, long tail of their fandom from the short tail. Right. And so they'll be hoarding just because the artist has the power. doesn't mean they'll be hoarding. Uh, Same thing happens with ticket scalpers. It doesn't get any more distributed. They buy all the tickets and they hoard them themselves, one layer below the beast. So this is an imperfect world. Uh, Everybody's saying this is uh, nirvana. Let's just say that we're on the way to a better place and away from the centralized gods, but uh, it will be messy. Something closer to the future is newsletters, right? Substack and and Redef and my personal blog and and the way you can charge for your hundred or thousand true fans. What, what, where's your take on Substack and blogging and and media?
1: I love it. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I started uh, Media Redef, Music Redef and the other newsletters was around um, this idea that discovery was a little broken that with the idea of personalization, that you would ultimately not see things that you didn't already agree with. And I'm a fan of you know DJs and Roger Ebert, the, the movie reviewer. Like I did turn to people who were navigators of the infinite for me, and I trusted them. And I wanted to build a trusted audience through my opinion. Um, in many ways, my newsletter is very selfish, which is I don't look at stats about what people click on. I don't care what the audience is interested in. It has to do with what I'm interested in. And they like to see what my point of view is, even if they don't agree with it. And that's the relationship. And what are we? What the, one of the reasons that we decided to go vertical was because we wanted to have a sort of this morning paper of each industry. So when I look at Substack and I think of old companies and forgive me for, for mispronouncing this, but like Reed of Elzie or one of those companies like where they had a newsletter in every industry from beverage to retail to marketing. Um, you look at Substack and there's all these independent voices, not just business oriented, and they have a, a, a point of view that's very detailed and it goes deep on something. And I love the fact that you've got this place where you can monetize your writing or at least, you know, manage your audiences. Um, there's a long way to go on the Substack product. It's essentially like you're putting out a blog and you're sending it via email, but this or Patreon or any of other, other ways that give people the ability to go all in and make a business out of it is wonderful. I worry sometimes with all the hype and I don't think this is coming out of the Substack guys, but, but more of, as you're starting to see, um, you know, publications, you know, get hit harder um, that people, writers are losing their job or they're not full time or there's less editors, this dream of Substack for everybody, you know, there's very few people who can make a real great living off of one of these platforms Mm -hmm. and um, and the ones that do make a lot and the others can maybe supplement their income, but I am all for it. And I think the only thing that's a huge um, a huge upside for me and what we do with curation versus the platforms themselves is that I think the platforms are going to have to step in and get away from this. You know, it's pure democracy. We don't promote anything. We don't um, give you suggestions, you know, medium without their newsletters and, you know, proper curation is useless because it's it's the infinite. You can't look through the infinite. You know, Substack right now has all these newsletters, but you do need people to sort of get in there and curate. And certainly other sites will will mention them and link to them and and you'll you'll find about, you know, from your your social network. But I'd also like to see the YouTubes, the Substacks, everybody that's in the creator economy and building out a platform promote their own artists and not just say, here's a platform, here's the tools for free, we'll help you monetize and take 90% or 50%, whatever it is, and then walk away from trying to help you build your audience. And I think the next platforms are the ones that are gonna help you monetize, but also build your audience, not allow you to just build your audience.
0: Yeah, we got carried away there. It, it was like, I used to be mad at Twitter in the early days for not promoting their Howard Sterns, right? And, but then, you know, we would get yelled at at StockTwits for like playing favorites, right? So it's like, maybe maybe you're supposed yeah. to play favorites. And, uh, you know, you know
1: I, I, say, I say, fuck that. I honestly say, fuck all that like stuff. Like the reality is search and browse allow pure democracy. Sharing allows pure democracy. But if someone's going to throw in with your platform, like you did with stock twits or, or other kinds of things, help them get there. Don't like give them a piece of land and throw them a, a couple of tools and say, you're on your own because they're helping build your business out to a multi-billion dollar business and then making five grand a month. And is, is not, it's not equitable it really isn't and i think that's what you're seeing with nfts with artists i think you're seeing that with you know any platform right now you know you'll hear about fireside chat which is mark cuban's thing any platform right now the tools are not enough the monetization's not enough now you have to help me build audience and give me data back so i can help build my own audience and i think that's the next wave
0: yeah the correct amplification well like you said curation amplification and um you know, what, what this bubble is bringing is, Ooh, NFTs, but that's like zero to a thousand. Uh, how do you fill in, you know, the speeds in between? So this is going to be exciting. I mean, I think we're over the hump, Yep. you know, NFTs are now a geeky thing that enough geeks are talking about and comprehending in their own way that they will, once this bubble is over, they will look back and go, Oh God, thank God we have this, uh, this protocol, and in the end, this is about creators, like in a world where automation exists, in a world where the pandemic has exposed the fraud that is commercial real estate and this, this abundance, you know, think about how stupid it is. That we drive our car to park 10 floors below a building that we'll never go to again. So um,
1: and what, what, do you, what do you think about like, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is what does Condé Nast do right now? What does a publication where their writers may leave and they do more specialty work and they put out more output do? You know, one of the I mentioned this in our last sit down, but one of the mistakes that MTV made was that they were so used to being the tastemaker that they didn't make the transition from being the platform to allow the audience to become the tastemakers. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Condé Nast and I look at Substack, where each individual topic that Condé Nast may cover, you know, has competition now from thousands and thousands and thousands. Would you see a major media company say, "We're going to make a major pivot. We're going to go away from just opinion and editorial, not not to get rid of it, but to still have it, but now to fund everybody that has those opinions and editorial on our own platform, and we'll give them the ability to make money, and we'll also promote them through our other platforms." Do you see a major media company making that pivot, or are they just going to get you know ousted once again?
0: Good question. I I don't. I mean, is it a loaded question? Do you know the answer? I don't know. I, I know.
1: I mean, if I need the yeah. answer to those things, you and I would be on a plane to Vegas, you know? Uh, but shouldn't no, we go to I Vegas anyways? Yes, we should.
0: The, uh, so, so I don't think so because Condé Nast means nothing to the new audience, right? So it almost seems like it would be futile for Condé Nast to go downstream and change their audience because no one knows what the brand means and their core audience will abandon them either way. So that's a tough one. I don't even know what you do there. Uh, I think what you're supposed to do there, like in the Yahoo thing, is leave before the last person there. So you don't have the stink of being a Condé Nast too long, whether it's Macy's or Condé Nast or Yahoo or whatever, name your internet company. Uh, But I think media is just flipped. And I think. Yes. Those old brands, I mean, look at Sports Illustrated, Street.com, like n- even in the niche verticals, they've just been run over. And, you know, Sports Illustrated, you know, the maven, they're trying to repurpose it. But like repurpose it with what? The next generation already has their way of doing things. So I think the odds are very low. And it seems like it would be good money after bad. And I don't think there'll be many great examples of that. What do you think?
1: It's, it's, it's really interesting. Like I've made every dollar I've ever made has been off the sloth of big media. So if you look at like Slingbox, for example, you know, this was not, you know, the idea that you could go watch your television somewhere else seems like an obvious thing now. But because of these closed ecosystems, these four scarcities, these guys never saw it. And we were able to sell them back what should have been their own. And usually when I sell a company to one of them, I end up being an executive there for a couple of years and then leaving in frustration. But there's still some sort of stupidity inside my head where one of these guys are going to get it right. And you'd think that the company that had something to do with Reddit would, un- would understand this. And I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Roger Lynch, who's over at Conde, who was our, our um, CEO at Pandora. But I, I would love someone to throw caution to the wind and say, stop managing our downfall, but actually let's make the big bet. But I, I agree with you that it's probably unlikely. And frankly, the show and the fireworks are going to be even more interesting to watch what happens. And even if you go back to what we were talking about in music, you know, the labels have always taken the short money. They I used to call them viruses. They would take VC-funded music startups and infect them, take all their startup money for licensing. And then when that died, they'd move on to another host VC funded company. Hmm. And they've taken short money and never built out a platform. Should they have owned Napster and continued with it? Should they have owned Spotify and not cashed out or owned YouTube and not taken just pieces? I'd say yes. It's very fascinating as the creator economy becomes the center, whether the labels are going to buy a platform and try to build one. And I don't think that they're capable of operating one, or is it going to be the A's offs or somebody else that comes in and says, we're going to be the central thing. And we're going to start to take back what we have been given so much away for so long.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's never been easier to build a brand and never been harder to build a brand at the same time, right? Like, it's easy to get something off the ground, but uh, probably takes longer. It's like StockTwits is a 12-year overnight success. Probably we should have quit 10, <laughs> oh, 10, 10 yeah. times along the way, right? But it was never easier yeah. to get it going. But then what define going? And yeah. so…
1: I'll, say, I'll, I'll I'll say this to any founder whenever they hear overnight from the press or anybody else um, you know, they'd like to show them the hour log. Yeah. You know, certainly didn't feel still overnight to me. Yeah.
0: It was easy to start, raise a few hundred grand, get a domain, pick uh, colors that were close to McDonald's at the time, you know, cause we didn't want to spend money, waste money on that. And then all yep. the mistakes that were seemed like genius decisions at the beginning start piling up. We call it technical debt, brand debt, media debt, distribution debt, uh, all the debts of going fast at the beginning. Cause it's so easy to build a brand, make it harder to sustain the brand and more expensive long term. So I don't know if there's, if anything's better or worse, except that the reality is the robotics, the automation, the pandemic have forever pushed forward the reality that people are going to, you know, when I was a kid, you would lawyer, doctor, accountant. And if my kids chose those careers, I'd be a little, I'd be a little sad. Um, yeah.
1: no, I, one of the things I did love about COVID, I've obviously, I've, uh, I I, mean, I say that uh, tongue in cheek, but one of the things that the, the wonderful things that does come out of this is you know there's the old adage of the, the the two kids in the garage building something. For the last year, a lot of people have been in their garage, rethinking their lives, rethinking what makes them happy, and frankly, coming up with some amazing ideas. I still think we're going to get back to the real world, but I think we're going to be way more efficient about how we get there and where we put our time because I think. Not only uh, are great ideas coming from that, but I think value on happiness and health are starting to come back in a way that maybe had been forgotten for quite some time.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, which lead me then to the next thing is we were so excited about the fall of cable, but now I got seven thousand ten dollar bills a month that I may be paying more. Uh, Will we will we be rooting for the bundling coming back soon or what's your take as someone with a man cave and someone who watches everything? uh, Where does it pan out for you? Was cable better than the unbundling that we're getting?
1: Well, it's interesting. I have a point of view from having been on all sides of the argument. So I've been in the programming side at Viacom. I've been on the cable side um, at, at, at Echo Star and Dish. I've been on the disruptive side at Slingbox. And you know, one of the things we all used to laugh about was this you know, thing, I don't want to pay for what I don't watch. But at the end of the day, if you were really a great consumer of media, cable was a great deal. Um, it didn't have the the video on demand product that it should have had. Um, it didn't have the, the the product interface that it should have had. But it wasn't that bad, and for the most part, what we've been paying for, if you're not a sports fan, is sports. Um, cable is falling. The numbers are you know finally starting to not be cliff driven. You could ask Rich Greenfield about the numbers more, but they are really 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 tall steps. Uh, And I think that's being managed by the cable companies themselves who want to, you know, maybe slowly get out of that business and more be about access. Um, I love what's happened in the subscription video world, because if I say that Amazon Prime is my home base for video. uh, And the reason I say that is that if you look at the overall system through Fire TV or through an Apple TV interface uh, for Apple, you have every video that's ever been made that's commercially available. You either get it for free through some sort of package or other thing that you're buying, like Prime, or you can unlock it via rental, via direct to download, own, or um, via some sort of subscription like AMC Plus or Stars or something like this. So for a fan, it's amazing. Um, I, I can't really look at my appetite and compare it to everybody else's. I would say that I've dropped cable in Los Angeles. My dollar figure is probably approaching, you know, less than what I was paying for cable. And I think people forget that you can call cable and constantly revise your bill. People don't do that often enough, even when they're in a merger. But the management's a problem. Um, where the management does not become a problem is if you go through a service like Amazon Channels or you go through a service like Apple TV Plus and their channels, you're able to manage everything together. They're not these you know disparate apps that you're getting, downloading, and then having to track um, bundling is coming back. You're starting to see it already. It's starting within companies. So you see it within discovery, you see it with an AMC plus. Um, and then, you know, basically you manage what you want. And if you quit, you get, you know, sort of a, you know, a, a prorated amount. You don't have to wait a month. It doesn't have to end. You don't get penalized. It's very user friendly. What, what cable company do you use today?
0: Uh, we're, not. You use? we're off. We're Time Warner in San Diego and Cox in uh, Phoenix.
1: So if Time Warner may give you an app to pay your bill, Time Warner may give you an app to watch the streams live. But if you wanted to add a channel or to cancel a channel or to cancel your service altogether, you're on the phone. Yeah, no, usually, um, maybe not to add a channel, but anything having to do with like, you know, switching up. The other thing I'll say that cable really screws you on is. Lots of people are moving because of COVID. You're seeing migrations all over the United States. Good point. Um it could it could be away from cities or not. I'll give you an example of something that happened to me. I moved in with Liz and and the boys. I had Spectrum and I had canceled. She has DirecTV here. We have to keep DirecTV because they need the the sports packages the boys watch basketball and football and all this kind of stuff. But when I logged into HBO Max when I hooked up my Apple TV, it said like I had to pay 14.99. Not HBO Max's problem because I was getting it for free through Spectrum, but my HBO Max account for deal reasons is tied to Spectrum. I had to literally call the head of HBO Max to decouple it and add it to DirecTV. So the cable companies don't make it easy for you to actually switch cable companies if you already have all your accounts that are getting it through authentication, HBO Max, whatever the channels that you don't have to pay for on the app to have on demand. If you want to move and use another cable provider, it's a manual process with customer service. So there's still an industry that still doesn't get it and doesn't care about the customer. And those numbers add up to millions. It may be an edge case. But when you look at Amazon Prime Video or you look at Apple, it's just all easy. It's all for the user to control. And that's just the future. And I think you're starting to see YouTube TV and these packages get more expensive. And that means the bundle comes back. The more you buy, the cheaper you know per service it'll get. And that's just the reality.
0: Yeah. So we're going to head back to bundling. I I look at the financial industry and I talk about it all the time. Vanguard's a little better than the cable companies and they definitely made it easier to leave what they should have done to keep everybody there and have no other brokerages allow you to deselect just like the cable people. I want to take Wells Fargo out of my stock bundle. I'm gonna take Goldman out of my stock bundle and run the numbers without it. They could have done it much easier than the cable companies because the cable companies had all these side deals and how they had to do the math for paying everybody. So it's interesting how the other industries, looking at the cable industry, still screwed it up. I mean, they don't think they screwed it up because they're doing pretty damn well, Vanguard. But uh, when they look back in 20 years and go, what the hell, how, how come everybody left Vanguard? It's because everybody wanted to rebundle their own indexes, and when with free commissions, you can. Cable's a little harder, so I think you end up back at like you said, rebundling. But uh, really interesting how everybody makes the same mistakes in many ways, and that's because I just uh, I think the execs just forget who the customers are.
1: You know, it's interesting. I used to say at MTV, always been a product person to a business development deal. Yep. And, you know, when you have a regional monopoly, you just don't think those ways. And I'm wondering, like, I'm sure, you know, the people that are trading on their own and doing what you're doing on a daily basis are probably a little more schooled. You know, it's fascinating with all the information that's available now with all the social media platforms and discussion rooms. The consumer, the artist is just smarter than ever before and they can leave you in a minute. And I just don't understand why the most important thing is customer satisfaction. If you look, I was mentioning to you guys you know, uh, offline about how I have customer service issues this week with lots of different companies, and I'm sitting on hold for hours. And at the end of the day, this never happens with Amazon. It's not worth their time for 40 bucks to sit on hold with me for five hours during the week. The customer is usually always right. And if not, it's not worth your time. And you want the goodwill from the customer. These are industries that have just made a lot of their money off of hidden fees or making it hard for you to leave or realizing that your sloth will make you forget to leave. And I just don't see that as part of the future.
0: And they've made it worse. You gave them Twitter to just staff up over a phone. You could put 500 kids on the Verizon Twitter account or 5,000 and just make sure someone gets rerouted quickly. Instead, everybody gets the same goddamn message from Verizon saying, DM me and you'll never hear from us again.
1: So if I was vegan, which I'm not, but if I was vegan and the store sent me a chicken, but their customer service was right, I would never have a problem with them you know, the reality is like, that's how I judge you, which is people make mistakes, things happen. But if you take care of me, like as a person and you don't waste my time, which is valuable, I love you forever.
0: Yeah. Not that hard. So let's, uh, let's wrap up here with a couple of things. Streaming. I'm i I'm a huge fan of Spotify. I mean, and I own, it, and I'm not scared, but are they at risk? Could streaming, how is streaming look going forward? It, it, both in movies and in like, who's the real winners?
1: Listen, I think Spotify is, I'm emotional about Spotify because I love the product and the service and the care that they put into programming and acquisition of programming and the organization of stuff. And at the same time, they still license from the labels because that's where the music is, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't go direct to artists sooner. You're starting to see inklings of that. I can't imagine they're not around and don't make the transition. Ultimately, they're a disruptive company. But, you know, the reality is if the mob owns the street, you either don't do business or you deal with the mob. And they've been dealing with the mob for a long time. And there's a great scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of my favorite scenes in terms of talking about transitions in businesses. And Indy is trying to get the gold idol in the middle yeah. and the gold idols on, on a weighted, you know, sort of, yeah. um, stand. Right at the first scene, the, he
0: makes the swap.
1: He makes the swap. He's got the sand and he's got the idol and he's trying to figure out how to do it. That's really what Spotify has to worry about, which is what's the moment that they can do the swap from direct to artists, but also licensing from the labels because the labels are vindictive. Such they don't love that people make you know, fortunes off of them. And, and um, will they be able to make the swap at the right time? And, you know, usually it'll take, I imagine that it'll take a couple of artists to move. But, you know, streaming for music is different than streaming for a movie service. You don't expect a movie service like HBO Max to have everything. You're paying to cobble together everything. And the interfaces like Fire TV or Apple TV Plus help you make it one interface. In Spotify or music service, traditionally, if you don't have a catalog, you're, you're, you're without something and you're not the music service that people need, unless you're talking about classical or, or jazz or some specialty like that. So to me, the indie moment is what we're waiting for. And I would bet on Daniel Lect every day of the week that he's already thought about it for years.
0: Me too. That's an act bet. Yes, yeah, so you're right. Netflix, it's different because no one expects Netflix to have everything. And, you know, there's Netflix and Disney and HBO Max, whereas I only will pay for one music service where for streaming uh, media, I'll pay for everything, it seems like.
1: And do you use Roku? You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's been one of these things. Um, Roku was very early on in the early days. I didn't love the action on the remote. I didn't love the interface. And I was such an Apple fanatic. That I sort of threw in with Apple early. And I think Apple's got a long way to go in terms of starting to catch up to the stick or to where Roku's gone. I am amazed by Roku in terms of what they built. I'm amazed at, you know, their balls in terms of turning the tables on the cable industry and starting mm-hmm. to take advertising revenue. They're going into programming now. I just think it was one of those things where I took a fork in the road just from a usability standpoint. And when they really improved it, I was already deep on apple tv and fire tv but i may revisit at some point but as a business i think those guys are are pretty much awesome and brilliant and i love that they are gangstering the gangsters
0: yeah roku pulled the raiders of the lost ark moment and they've almost pulled it perfectly they flipped the sand for the idol and the booby traps haven't totally hit the stock they're being rewarded so I mean, can, uh, you, can you imagine amazing how like, you great know, these... movies are about life yeah. in many ways? That was one of the great movies oh, yeah. of all time. I still remember where I was with my dad at a drive, a movie mesmerized how far ahead that movie was of its time.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things around movie, the business has been so disrupted and, you know, they've been victims of piracy or the companies didn't get into streaming early enough the way that Netflix is. They took the short money like labels. But if you look at the creator's. If you look at Jim Cameron, if you look at George Lucas, if you look at Spielberg, if you look at the technologies inside of Minority Report or back in Star Trek, they basically invented new technologies without making them work. They were fake. And then the Valley went and built those things. And that's there there, there truly is innovative ways. And I laugh about, you know, anytime I speak to, you know, guys like, you know, like Hunter Walk or, or Andy Weissman, you know, the way we explain stuff sometimes you know, in rudimentary ways is through the switch. And, you know, we talk about this every 10 years, but if you look back at minority report, which I think came out, you know, in the nineties and you see the futurists that they had hired to come up with what the future would look like, the form factors aren't exactly the same, but when it comes to targeted advertising, when it comes to all that kind of stuff, they pretty much got the world right. Um, And it's pretty amazing to sort of see that stuff happen. And I, and I, I love using these examples because you know sometimes it's like looking in on a trigonometry class when you're taking algebra. You're not you don't you don't understand it, but movies seem to put it into images that make it, you know easier to understand.
0: You know, I'm a Harkins fan in Phoenix. Like AMC's, uh, when I think of the pandemic, I think of you know Chinese have bats and the American have AMC movie theaters where disease spreads, and that was part of the the downfall of the movie industry is not just sure. the movie product was bad. The distribution was bad. The theaters were bad. And so it was just everywhere it was declining, but I feel bad it's, because like in Phoenix, like Harkins is one of the best run hardest yeah. to run businesses and they're getting punished relentlessly, not just because the movie products bad, but because the pandemic and people don't want to congregate. I wonder what, what what's your gut? I'll go back to movies every week. Yeah.
1: I would go to movies every Friday. We would play hooky here in LA. You would see three movies a week sometimes. There's something about a movie and a movie theater where the lights go down. It's forbidden to use your phone. You can really escape into a story unlike you can, you know, when you're at home, it's still a great experience. Don't get me wrong. You've got big televisions, but movie theaters are so part of America and they really are the town square. You're talking about stuff before. You're talking about stuff afterwards, but during it, you're not actually disturbed, or you're trying not to be disturbed. I think some of the problems that I see with movie theaters is, you know, from what I understand, I used to do a couple of discussions on this, but a hotel will refurbish every seven years, a movie theater every 15 years. And this weekend, because LA is my new home, Liz and I went downtown and hired a private guide, and we did an architecture tour of downtown Los Angeles. And during that tour, we saw essentially the original movie palaces of Los Angeles, where they would premiere Mary Pickford's movie or Charlie Chaplin's movie. And they're very nondescript or run down from the outside, the ones that aren't an Urban Outfitters or the ones that aren't the new Apple store. And they've all been refurbished back to their glory, but largely for corporate events. Now, when you walk into a movie theater, and I'm not saying all of them, they're purposeful. They're seats. They're thinking about ARPU. They're taking out seats and charging more for the candy. And I really think that when all this TV is coming, and it's at the level of the greatest films ever, and movies are going day and day inside the home, rather than threaten the studios, what are the theaters going to do to reinvest? I believe Americans, if not human beings, are very resilient. They're going to want to be with people. There's nothing like laughing with other people. The first thing I can do, I've started to go out to dinner. I'm still wearing my mask. But when I feel comfortable and movies are back or concerts are back from Live Nation and other places, there's nothing like the energy of being around and seeing and experiencing something. And I'll just put an image in your head again as an example. You've seen the movie Cinema Paradiso, um, one of the famous great you know movies about movies. And there's a scene in this movie where the little kid Toto is watching a movie and you don't see the movie he's watching. You see the point of view of his face while he's watching the movie. And sometimes when I'm in theaters, I'll just look to see my niece or my nephew or another friend and see the wonder that they see by the movie being projected to them, and they're lost in this world. They're going to have a hard time competing with the home. They have to make the experience better. They got to think about pricing. It's the only seat business in the world that isn't variable pricing. But I'm hopeful that these guys could have a second life and keep it going and just make the experience better for us and not take this for granted, not just think that the seats are a seat. Not just think that the candy is now 50 times more than it would be if you bought it at, you know, the supermarket outside. And then think about variable pricing so that people can come back. Because nowadays when you go to the theater with a family of four and you've got parking and you've got food and you've got all those other kinds of things, at the end of the day, you think the ticket price for $20 is cheap. And that's just unfair.
0: Awesome. Finally on social media, I was, I had almost abandoned hope. I had always had this thesis that, you know, Twitter let itself get hijacked. And their brand, you know, hijacked by uh, politics—not media, but by politics. The media are just going to always do what the media does, which is clicks or attention. But what's your thoughts of social media? Are you, what, what do you use?
1: Listen, you know, I, I'm a Twitter guy. I'm a Facebook guy. I've got my issues with how Facebook may do business, but Facebook never upsets me the way that I read about. Hmm. Twitter is the one that I'm addicted to. And I joke, like, if you put me on an EKG and uh, my resting heartbeat was 68, it would be, you know, 80 or 100 (laughs) within 10 minutes on Twitter. Um, You know, the reality is it's fascinating that the place where discussion is happening is a place where they limit the amount of discussion, meaning the 280 characters. And I understand that was the genius of it and is still keeping them around. But I really think about this often, Howard, which is net net. Am I happier? Am I more educated? Am I better off with social media? And I think it comes down to personality type, to be honest with you. Like, I internalize a lot of stuff. The politics, because my head was in the sand, and the meanness of what was going on in America and the rest of the world manifested itself on Twitter. And I also realized that even if I was fighting against it, the people that I wanted to turn, the people that I wanted to have that debate with or discussion as other human beings, were never going to see what I was seeing because. By definition, you're targeted with your, mo- what you're most likely to agree with. Um, I think that I'm beginning to believe or hope, maybe cynically, um, cynically hopeful that the platforms realize that the way they built this idea that they built for optimization and ultimately ad revenue and that the things that upset us get more time and thus they whip us into a frenzy, whether they knew or not, they understand now. And I always wanted features that would tell me, you know what? You think you know me, but you don't tell me what I wouldn't like. Tell me what you think I would agree with and show me that and see if I don't foster discussion. And what I'm hearing about Mark Cuban's fireside chat product um, and other businesses, which they start to take, you know, consideration of the quality of the conversation of the people that are having the conversation and also the sentiment around the conversation. I am long social media because it's connecting. I'm very worried about what the pandemic and social media have done to people getting together with people and looking each other in the eye. And there are some days where it makes me feel lower than low. And then there are some days where I look at a guy like Rex Chapman, the former NBA player, and I see the, the wonderful things that he posts and the good works that he posts. And it makes me high. But there are some people that could rub it off and, and, and not worry about it. I'm not the guy that lets it you know, rub off on his shoulder or fall off his shoulder, whatever it is. Um, I get angry. And I'm also someone that feeds the animals. You know, if the lion bites me, I get in the cage. I don't run. Right. And that's not good for my health.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's great. I'm not even going to add to that. I'm like you in that uh, it's been a huge – Facebook doesn't bother me because I don't use it. I'm sure they're targeting me, but I'm not addicted to e-commerce, so they don't seem to have a grasp of me. I'm sure they're targeting me, but they don't really influence my spending or my behavior. Whereas Twitter, I've just embraced the small graph that it is, the interest graph that it is. And it just helps me immensely around my speeding up my business. It may send me down uh, a long-term nightmare where all my deals look the same and everybody's running off a cliff at the same time. Uh, That's the risk that I imagine I faced in my closed off world uh, where I'm just trying to go fast, 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 deep, deep, deep. Uh, leave me alone i only want one topic so yeah interesting i'm i'm optimistic though because i'm I'm, I'm hopeful i'm
1: hopeful i want to see it work well but you know it's fascinating me you don't see porn on youtube they somehow figure out how to get rid of some stuff i i don't see an equivalent between listen i'm for free speech i've made mistakes on free speech i don't love the idea of canceling but someone needs canceling but when Mark Zuckerberg talks about Facebook as if it's a nation and he's the head of the nation. I get worried about it. You know, when a cable company broadcasts a channel that purports to be news, but ultimately incites riots and they stay away from even adjudicating what that would mean for who they want to carry. That's a problem for me. It's not so that you agree with me, but you can't just walk away from what's on your platform. It happens. The other side of it is, at the end of the day, these are platforms. The criminals always are the most innovative. You know, you've seen that. You know, usually the moves in digital are around music, pornography, and criminality. Those are the people that always move the quickest. And stocks. But at the end of the, because criminals. the Yeah, yeah. Yes. Part but at the scheme. end of the day, at the end of the day, people are behind these tweets. And I'm not talking about just the, you know, Russian intelligence services or or, um, you know, people who have, you know, content farms or social farms where they're stirring it up or things with political, you know, uh, boiler rooms. I'm talking about people are angry and they're also cowardly. And when they don't have to face you and they don't have to be the real person, they they light it up. And and even if you have a normal – I was having a normal conversation about blood sugar and what I eat. And someone has to jump in. Legitimately, it's a topic so they jump in saying, you all are rich and you can afford diabetes drugs – And, you know, down with the rich or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I get it. And I'm all for affordable drugs. But we're trying to have a conversation here around, you know, us just being healthy. The the problem is that there's people behind these. They have good aims and they have bad aims. It's very easy to blame the platform. The platform needs to do better. But what are we going to do as a society? Why is America, the richest country on earth, have so much inequity, but also it's the angriest fucking country on earth?
0: Yeah, and, well, fuck um, you too.
1: Yeah, exactly. We gotta we gotta figure that out. And and I don't Knut's. have the answer today. <laughs> yeah, and Knut's. And by the way, I'm probably one of the angrier guys. But I I wake up every morning saying, "New day, let's let's figure this one out." And then I get really pissed at some sort of logistics company.
0: <laughs> the uh, finally, if you walk around, you've you've met everybody. So is there somebody that we haven't talked about over the two episodes? You got a day in New York. It's a perfect day. It's seventy degrees. No humidity uh, streets aren't packed, what part of the city and who you want to hang out with?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for a sec. I mean, like there's people that I think about that. I, I just love like Sasha Baron Cohen or Seth Rogen. Um, you know, a certain amount of celebrities that are comedians that I haven't met, that it brings so much happiness to, to me on a daily basis that I just love to hang with, not as a, you know, drooling fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, Right before the pandemic, I had met Danny Meyer of Shake Shack a little, uh, and I was walking home in Tribeca one night, and I saw that they had a like a lab on top of a building, like sort of a, I forget what it was called, but like Shake Shack Innovations. Is it like next so, to a
0: hospital, so you could just have a heart attack freely? Well, right I, I didn't,
1: there? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell Liz about this, but this is a guy <laughs> who's run great restaurants and brings he's a great people. Guy. He's
0: I've met him once. He's a
1: great, he's a great guy. The times I've met him, and I, you know, I, I love, you know, when I watch these chef shows. I just love listening to how they look at it as art and it's about pleasing people. And it's, you know, in many ways they're selfish and in many ways they're not, they want to please. And I'd say the person that I wanted to meet the most and sadly I was coming close to it because I had asked my friends at CNN You know, I woke up a couple of years ago and Anthony Bourdain had died and Anthony Bourdain used food as a passageway to sort of showing the, the differences, but also the commonalities amongst all of us it was a brilliant way. Which is the table breaking bread, and I, I traveled the world to places that he talked about. I traveled to restaurants in Beirut and other places that he talked about. And he was the one guy I never asked for this. Usually, I, every every month in Redef, I write who would I like to meet, hmm. and I feel bad for these people because they get like I sat down with with Sam Ismail from uh, from Mr. Robot for a four hour breakfast because I wrote about wanting to meet him, and that was wonderful. Bourdain was the guy I wanted to meet the most. It broke my heart in a way that like, I, like I knew him and I didn't when he died. And he just brought so much happiness and opened up a world to me. And I'd say, he's probably the guy I'd like to meet the most.
0: That's a really good answer. Now I'm hungry. So uh, everybody wins. All right. Well, you killed it. I'm so glad we got to talk a little bit about the future. And next time we do this in, in the next year, we'll, we'll just focus on the future. I'm glad you're doing well. And, uh, that was fun. I learned a lot, my man.
1: Thanks guys. I I loved it. I'm sure the audience is going to be, uh, falling asleep at some point with me, but I I appreciate the two-parter. Am I the first? Is that, is that what, uh, I'm to understand. Am I the first two-parter?
0: Um, you are the first where it was very organized where we where, where there was so much history that we, that the stories are the best. I think because because uh, it's a financial show, Jeff. We've had a few people, like O'Shaughnessy or Richards, where we're not talking about stories; we're just talking about ideas. But uh, you've inspired me to like rethink how we how we think about guests. Well, this show doesn't have well, a, a theme really; it's just talking to friends. We're panicking with friends. Well,
1: well listen, if your audience like the appetizer, I'm ready to serve the entree again anytime you want.
0: There you go. You're the man. All right, but stay healthy, and we'll talk soon.
1: All right, guys, be good.
0: Be good. And there you go. We've past and future. I'd like the answer. I would hang out with Bourdain or Seth Rogen. I
1: or, totally agree. Wait a minute. He said Seth Bourdain, Rogen. Oh.
0: definitely. Yeah. But also it would be fun to hang out with Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I'd be nervous a little bit. And maybe with Bourdain because you're sitting at a table, it would be fine. But then he would just calm and I'd get food on him or something. and just walk <laughs> away because I'm not a good eater. All right, everybody. Panic with friends. I was Jason Hirshhorn, part two. We went back and then we looked ahead, not too far ahead because what's the point? Okay. And that's just for people who just like to talk smart. And uh, we're just trying to make a buck. So, uh, Canute, thanks. Thank uh, you. Go to Google, Spotify, Apple podcast, search my name, uh, subscribe. You get a podcast a week. Uh, We talk about investing, uh, making a little money off uh, the uh, past and present and trying to just uh, stay one step ahead, everybody. Uh, Have a great week. We will be back next week.